0: This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gents. I'm Seb Lozier. If you joined us last time, you know exactly what's coming this time. It is part two of our exclusive chat with the one, the only, Juan Carlos Ferrero. Last time we heard all about the young Spaniard, Carlos Alcaraz. He's now coaching and why he's being compared with Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic already. That is well worth a listen if you haven't got to it. This time we rejoin that chat just at the point where I started to ask Juan Carlos about his own career. A career that took him to world number one via a Grand Slam title and a few big losses too in major finals along the way. It's a fascinating insight from a former champion of Roland Garros and, as such, we started with what he made of the biggest clay court event of them all, being moved this year to late September.
1: Is a tournament that I was. Uh, it will always be in my heart. I think is uh, one of the tournaments that I watched when I was young, more on the TV, and uh, definitely one is one of the tournaments that I been there when I was 14 because I, I made a trip with my father to watch the tournament uh, over there in in Paris, and uh, of course, and uh, it's one of the tournaments that I that I watch on the TV because we we had a lot of. Spanish players that, that they play good there, and uh, obviously when I was 15, 16, I was I was watching these kind of matches, and uh, you know every time that I go there, I have uh, an amazing uh, memories from the tournament. Uh, when I go to the locker room or when I go to Suzanne Neglén and uh, you know it comes to your mind uh, all the all the matches that you play there, and um, definitely uh, center court and you know. Every time that I, you step in, you remember, you know, the final or a lot of matches that I played there against uh, people that, uh, you know, they're my friends. So uh, obviously it's one of the tournaments that I will remember for all my life.
0: Moving it back in the calendar and so close to, I guess, the US Open and other things, the calendar may be <laughs> very busy at that time of year if, if we get to play some tennis. Does the whole dynamic of the tournament change for you or do you think it'll still be the same?
1: I cannot tell you. It's gonna be very different. I think we have to adapt that uh, what we have now and in front this is something that uh, we didn't we didn't live until now. So uh, of course it's gonna be different. That's you know the the dates are gonna be different. So it's gonna be very strange to play in September over there. And uh, after US Open, you're gonna have uh, that time to practice on clay. get there like uh, very prepared so of course it's going to be very different but uh, as i said we have to move on we have to try to get prepared and uh, we have to get ready we we don't have uh, another thing to do
0: when people ask you now to look back on your career your playing career is there one tournament or one year or one moment that you think about first
1: there's a tournament that i remember that uh, it hurts me a lot to lose the final because I w- I really wanted to win the tournament and I was the the master against uh, Hewitt in the Shanghai the final But I you know I was three up three one up on the fifth set uh, very close to win it but then at the end I, I lose that match seven five in the fifth so uh, it's, it's, it's one of the tournaments that I that I cry when I when I lose it because you know that tournament it's it's really nice to win it. it is you know the eight be- best players in of the year. Play in that tournament, and uh, I remember that I played Federer, I played Moya, I played Albert Costa, I played, uh, you know, one of the best players in that moment, and uh, it was uh, a big, uh, a big crash for me to to lose it. So this tournament uh, comes to me when I when I remember it.
0: That was just before the year that you then had in two thousand and three, which was your
1: best year. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It was at the end of uh, two thousand and two. And do you
0: think the pain from 2002 helped you in a way, it made you have such a good year in 2003?
1: Could be, could be. You know, uh, of course, after uh, this kind of uh, experience on the court uh, makes you grow up as a player. Definitely, play one of the, you know, one of the most important uh, match for me. Is there's a, there's a final of uh, when the master makes you stronger, even if you lose it. And uh, I think uh, helped me to you know, to stay stronger and uh, even try to to work harder to not try to to lose the matches in this kind of situation. So mental, I think I grow a little bit more and it uh, gets me a little bit stronger.
0: The big win that we mentioned before in 2003 was the, the French, Roland Garros, you, you, you won. Having lost the final the previous year to Albert Costa, did that make you wake up that day and live it differently or was it the same? Did, did you feel like you'd kind of prepared yourself the second time round a little bit better by the time you got to the final?
1: Uh, definitely I get prepared better, of course, you know, when you you just uh, had uh, an, a, bad, a bad experience in, in a Grand Slam final and you lose it, uh, you know, uh, having the, the experience that, that you had before because I I... I lost semis, semis, and then final. So uh, you had that experience, and of course uh, you wake up that that morning, and uh, everything's come to your mind, and uh, you prepare the things uh, not different, uh, but maybe even more focused, because you have the you know the opportunity again to try to win it, and uh, you you don't know if you're gonna have another one, so you have to try to catch it and uh, and win it. So uh, and um, even with uh, with uh, the rival that I had in the final, you know, I, I was the favorite all the time, and uh, you know, uh, I was uh, not sure to win it. But uh, completely believing in myself, that uh, you know, that finally was for me. And uh, at the end, I couldn't, I couldn't play very, very good level.
0: Beating Albert in the semi-final, having lost to him in the final the previous year, that must have given you so much confidence in a way. I mean, you, you played, was it Martin Verkerk in the, in the final? And you were expected to win it. But di, did it almost feel like you'd played the big game in the semi?
1: I don't know. Obviously, in the semifinals against Albert, I wanted to, to have that revenge from last year. Uh, but at that time, physically, I was completely 100%. Not the same as last year in the final. Because I remember I twisted my ankle at the, at the very beginning week of, this, of the tournament and, um, of course, that, that semi-finalist for me, it was a big opportunity to, to have my revenge and, uh, you know, get into the final and uh, step in. And, uh, you know, I, I remember that I step on the court with uh, all the things on the, on the on the right place, you know, and uh, I remember it was a very good match because both we play good level. But I remember that uh, he played uh, three or four matches, best of five. And uh, I talked to myself that okay, uh, I have to be calm and try to to have a long match. And uh, because at the end, I think uh, you know it, it will be it will be for me the match because I am gonna be stronger than him physically because he's gonna be very he's gonna be very tired from the other matches. So yeah, and, and I think I play very good level since the first since the first point. Do you remember what went
0: through your mind when you won your first Grand
1: Slam? Something very very difficult to remember. I remember that I hit uh, one one stroke forehand uh, down the line, and then I repeated down the line to make to make it a winner. But uh, when you win it, it's something that is like, you know, I I get it after three years being that close to win that that tournament, and um, you know, uh, seeing all the people on the crowd, uh, all my family, and uh, all the. All the people that came from Spain to support me, uh, it was uh, very, very special. Um, there is not something that uh, you don't you think especially in that moment. You just relive yourself and uh, being as happy as you can be and uh, try to enjoy the moment.
0: How much did, does that change your life, winning a Grand Slam? It, it, you become this you know, part of a very elite club of, of players, obviously. Do you wake up the next day and, and the world is a different place?
1: No, definitely Leon. I think uh, is is a sport, sport game, and uh, we're not gonna, we are not gonna be different human beings uh, uh, next day that you win a Grand Slam. Uh, of course, the life uh, continue the same, but uh, maybe pe- people, players uh, having a little bit more respect that that, uh, that you win a Grand Slam and that you're part of the a very little group uh, of uh, players that uh, they win a Grand Slam, but. Uh, Everything uh still the same. You have to play an, in two weeks uh, a grass tournament and uh, you have to try to okay be focused for the next day because you have to start practice again. And uh, of course, it is special to be uh, in this kind of uh, little group, but uh, everything still the same.
0: We've mentioned that, you know, you, Albert Costa was a, was a big rival of yours. Um, it was an incredible year that you won Monte Carlo, you won Madrid, obviously you won Roland Garros. You, you then lost the final of the US Open to Andy Roddick as well. Who did you feel was your biggest rival during that time? Was there one player in particular?
1: Well, let's say I, I, I cannot tell just one player. Uh, let's say I had uh, three or four that I always, um, you know, play... The finals uh, or semis uh, it was Roger, Andy, Haywit, uh, Cuerten, uh, all the Spaniards, like Moya, Albert. So um, the Argentinians, are, they, they've been very tough on play as well. So uh, let's say I cannot say one. Like maybe now we can, Roger or Novak or, or Rafa can say of, you know, themselves, but uh, cannot say one. Well, who was the toughest to play against? Let's say for me it was Andy Roddick because it was one of the of the of the guys that I could never beat on the tour. I always lost against him, so uh, he had one of the games that uh, for me was uh, very difficult because from the baseline he was consistent. Like he he, he didn't miss too much, but uh, with his serve he was putting me a lot of pressure because I knew that if I lose my serve, it was almost impossible to break him because he was, all the time that he played against me, he was serving unbelievable. Of course, his serve was one of the biggest weapons that he has, but Cincinnati in in the final and Master Master 1000, he beat me. U.S. Open final, Beijing final, another tournament that, he, that I think he beat me five times and I never win a match. So... For me, Andy Roddick. That's
0: incredible though, that even as you know, you were the world number one player back then and, and you, you obviously get players or, you know, is that a confidence thing? You, you go onto the court feeling that you, you're already on the black foot against a guy like that?
1: I think it's, it's very mental it's mental because you go there and uh, you remembers all the time that i that that you lose against him and uh okay when uh, you have a break point and uh, you you lose the 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 serve uh, you're going to mind start thinking that okay i'm in the same situation as as the other matches and it's going to happen the same so i think it's very mental because uh my kind of game it was the perfect one to beat him because i was i was a good uh returner and i was serving okay and from the baseline i was i was pretty good very good from fa- backhand and and forehand so but I don't know what, what happened. But <laughs> I lost five times, so I, it it didn't work that 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 good for me.
0: Well, it was certainly a very big serve and a very big forehand. That's for sure. Um, you mentioned the way you played. El mosquito, your nickname, the mosquito. Who who came up with that?
1: It came. That came from. Uh, I, I I think I was 19 years old, and I came one time to play uh, teams players in uh, in Germany the league that uh, they have over there and um, I, I went there to play and uh, one of the, the players that we have on the team, he thinks that I was a bit of Mosquito because I was like this at that time. I was very skinny and I was moving very fast on the court and I was similar than Mosquito that's very small and moves that fast. So that's the big, uh, the big thing to, to tell me Mosquito.
0: <laughs> yeah. and we we mentioned you became world number one you know it's 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 easy just to say it and throw it away and and uh you know but that's a big thing isn't it how important was it for you and also looking back you know how how big is it now to be able to say you know now and also at the time world number one was that something that you always wanted to tick off was it big for you
1: of course, you dream, you dream it with, uh, with this uh, when, when you are young, but you always dream about uh, to be number one. Now, Carlos Alcaraz, to me, he tells me that he wants to be a number one in the world. So I think uh, it was the same for me when I was uh, 16, 17. But obviously, it's something that, you know, that it's, it's going to be very difficult because you have to okay, uh, play uh, that good level, uh, you know, to be, to be there and, uh, and uh, to be a number one. Is a consequence to play really 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 good during a long time. It's, it's not something that uh, okay I'm gonna be like uh, six seven months to play a good level and uh, of course I'm gonna be uh, or I'm gonna be very close to be number one so uh, I think uh, it's something that uh, you have to to work uh, that much and uh, to play very good uh, during a lot of time and, uh, and then after being number one, I think at that time I didn't enjoy it as as much as maybe I do now. Because uh, right now I know that I'm in that small group of uh, 26 people that uh, they went uh, for number one in the world, and uh, it gets me, you know, uh, very proud of the of the things that I did during my my whole career. And uh, I knew that uh, it was something that uh, is very difficult, and uh, I get there, and uh, I could be. You know, number one so uh, you know something that I, I remember with uh, with uh, so much love
0: And you're still young enough that you know you were playing when the current you know top guys were, were coming onto the scene you mentioned Roger when you were winning Roland Garros, a young Spanish guy called Rafael Nadal was just starting out wasn't he 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 played Wimbledon in the US Open that year he didn't actually play Roland Garros. When did you become aware of him? first of him and and Roger and these new guys coming onto the scene?
1: You know, at that time, uh, Roger was the, you know, he has a very good level. Rafa was like, uh, he's he's 33 now. He's like six six years younger than me. So uh, in Spain, of course, uh, we start hearing about him. And uh, because uh, with 17, he played Davis Cup uh, with us and... uh, Uh, We knew from the beginning that uh, he was uh, able to to be one of the best in the world. And, uh, of course, the the best Spanish sport men that uh, we have right now. And, um, obviously, it's it's very difficult to imagine that um, at that time, they still both, or let's say Novak as well, uh, fighting all the time for the Grand Slams. It's amazing because now, to me, I... I tell myself that I retired very young because I could play like three or four years at uh, a very good level and, uh, you know, playing like 12, 13 tournaments a year like as as they do. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, at that time, it was very difficult to imagine that this this situation would be like this.
0: I had a great chat with Alex Korecha a couple of years ago in Madrid, and he was telling me about his first experience of hitting the ball with Rafa. I think it was the same maybe Davis Cup uh, camp or something and Rafa was say 16, 17 do, do you, and it, he just was amazed by how hard this kid was hitting the ball do you, do
1: you remember, do
0: you have a similar memory of first sort of time you hit with him?
1: Yeah, similar similar feeling because at the beginning when uh, he was practising uh, with you, uh, he was like hitting two, three balls and then always boom, winner all the time to one side, it was one, two three, boom, winner all to the other side and it was like we are not practicing, we are playing points. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you, you see at that moment that, uh, you know, he's uh, one of the, the guys that, uh, of course, uh, is going to be, you know, uh, very good. And uh, nobody imagined the career that uh, he would have, but uh, definitely uh, we, we saw something very special on him. And at the end, I think um, you know mentally is uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, I never seen something like this in the court. Mental is so 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 strong. Never gives gives up and uh, he's always always there. Even if if he if he's six one five love love forty, you know he's gonna he's gonna fight until he he dies on the court. So uh, you know it's great it's great.
0: And he's so different from. On court to off court, isn't he? But back in the day, was he still the same polite, you know, quiet off court, or what was he like as a as a kid?
1: He's not quiet. He's normal. I mean, he's 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 you know, he likes to play PlayStation. He likes to play soccer. He likes to to chat with people so uh he's do you think he's 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 quiet well no quiet
0: may be the wrong word i think polite and very you know he's always seems very 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 nice you know he's always very generous with his time and he always says hello and you know but he's he's just very i don't know just he always comes across as very correct very polite and you know he he likes to do things a certain way
1: when you have that level of uh, knowing from the people, uh, I think you have to be a little bit different. It's it's not very easy to to feel normal to to act act like uh, you know doing whatever I feel I have to do. You know, you have to be very correct all the time because people are talking too much all the time.
0: You mentioned before you you retired and and it sounded like there was a little bit of regret, maybe, that you retired too young. I mean, you retired, what, in 2012 after Valencia, I think, uh, the Valencia 500. Wh- why did you choose to, to end it there?
1: Just because I felt at that moment that I was not 100% to, to still competing at the level that I wanted. So uh, when I started feeling that, uh, you know, I... I lose to some players that I feel that uh, in in a normal situation or a normal uh, way of of my level, it was, you know, a feeling that I have inside that they was so wrong, you know. So uh, I started, you know, physically I felt good, but obviously... At that time, when uh, you know uh, you you, I saw a lot of a lot of players that uh, they retired when uh, they are 30, 31, and it was the normal way to to do it. So me, I was almost 15 years in a row on the on the on the tour, and uh, I felt a little bit tired mentally. I felt tired, and I felt I, I felt not that com- competitive uh, that I was that I was on the court, and. When I start feeling that, uh, okay, if I lose, all right, I go home, nothing happens. That's not me, you know? Uh, remember me when I, you know, I lose a match and I make big drama for one day because I, w- I really wanted to, to win that match. And uh, when I start thinking a little bit in, in the other way, it, it was not the same. But
0: having now seen... People like Roger Feliciano Lopez, your your countryman and probably your, you know your friend, going on still and playing. Whether that did make you feel, you know, any regret?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Let's say a little bit because maybe now I there is a lot of a lot of times that I think that uh, maybe these these players had this kind of uh, of uh, situation in their minds the same as I have in that moment. But then they continued. at that everything goes well, so maybe I quit a little bit too soon. But now, uh, let's say I could, I cannot do anything about it.
0: No, it's a new life, new life now as a, as a coach. Of
1: course, of course. No, no, and it's good. And is it good? I mean, it's, it's the way it is, and uh, I'm happy the way the way I do it. But uh, of course, there is a little bit of regret, regret
0: just just finally, what does the day to day normally look like for you? Obviously we're dealing with this pandemic at the moment, and it's you know it's thrown all the cards up in the air a little bit, but you've got the academy, you've got Carlos is that a you know a seven day a week thing what is your day to day
1: yeah we uh, I live in at the academy i live i have my house here so uh yeah I stay here the whole day uh with the kids with the players you know i stay. You know, a little bit with uh, with uh, everybody on the court, uh, controlling absolutely everything, that uh, everything goes well. And uh, obviously, uh, when Carlos is practicing on the court, I stay there all, all days. Uh, uh, we practice almost uh, Monday to Saturday, and then Sundays we, we start a little bit to, to rest. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, every day Every day working here and uh, controlling that everything good and uh, yeah we we stayed for two months already here uh, locked down uh not going anywhere to you know to get everybody safe here so uh, keep working but uh in in a different way now not uh, like super busy super busy
0: Are you looking forward to getting back out on tour
1: <laughs> yeah of course of course definitely something that uh yeah we the situation now is not uh, is not great and uh, we don't know uh, when we're gonna we're gonna be be able to be able to to come back to the tournament but uh at least uh here in spain we we're gonna have uh, uh a few tournaments to play as a national you know players and uh, Carlos is gonna play some of the tournaments uh since uh from, from july so uh, at least we have something to to compete and uh to stay in a good shape and uh Try to be ready for you know for the when the time comes comes up and the tournaments are around the world uh, start again.
0: Well, listen, we wish you all the best. We wish Carlos all the best. Please thank you. pass pass him on our our best wishes and um, thank you once again for all of your time and um, good luck with with everything. And hopefully we'll see you back out there before too long.
1: Okay, thank you and be safe. You too.
0: Our thanks to Juan Carlos Ferrero. When we do get back up and running, we will definitely keep an eye out for Carlos Alcaraz. He is well worth watching. And remember to listen to part one of this chat all about him if you haven't already done so. That's it for this week. Next week, we keep the Roland Garros theme going with some of the leading French players on tour and the country's brightest young stars. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. See you next time. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review, review.